0: 3rd John, Beloved, I pray that in all respects that you may prosper and be in being good health, just as your soul prospers. And we're looking at this of being healthy from the inside out. What does it mean? We've been defining our terms. What, is it, what does it mean to, to be healthy? What does it mean to prosper when... When the writer here speaks of the soul prospering, what what does that really look like? And we discovered that there are three things that inherently drive us. One is the need to feel confident or competent at what we do. Secondly is the need to feel authentic. And thirdly, the need to be connected to other people. In the mental health community, this is known as the self-determination theory. Those things that intrinsically motivate everyone are these three areas. And last week we put them in order because I believe that one drives the next. At the top of the list is being authentic. It's only once you know who you are that you can begin to be competent in that thing that God's called you to do. And it's in that competency and the identification of who you are and how God has wired you that you find, if you wish, your people, your tribe, your unique folk that God has joined you with. And last week, we began to look at discovering your authentic person, of understanding the the real from the ideal. C.S. Lewis, the more we let God take us over, that the more truly ourselves we become, that our authenticity can only evolve truly as Christ Himself authenticates us. We learned that authentic is not a blank check for your weirdness. Being authentic is not just, hey, that's just the way I am. Get over it. Get over me. It's not, it's this, this, this it's not a, it's, it's not just this, again, this blank check for just. You know, your eccentricities and bad attitudes and bad breath, that's not what it is at all. But it is, it's a quest, it's a discovery that God has fearfully and wonderfully made us, Psalm 139. God's made us unique, He's made us different, we know that. Ezekiel 47, a picture here, I believe, of the church of a river flowing from the throne of God, and it says different trees, trees of all kinds. Do you realize that we need a lot of different trees producing a lot of different fruit to get done in the world what God wants done? Aren't you glad of that? And that's one of the reasons that we love being in a church like this, is there are lots of different trees growing up in here, right? Well, hopefully a lot of different fruit to accompany that. We learned that Authenticity, it's expensive. The world's design is always toward uniformity because uniformity is easier to both control and cheaper to produce. It's going to be costly. It's going to require courage. Many of us don't possess the courage yet to live the lives that God has designed us to live. So tonight I want to, in just a few moments, because we have baptisms tonight, wonderful moment. I want to look at a few areas to help us come into discovery and embracing of our authenticity. I, I had a chance just to introduce the first one last week, but number one is to accept the distinction and embrace the differences. Distinctions are not defective. they're just different. It's a mark of the divine. Aren't you glad that God and God's design didn't do everything in black and white in the same size? I mean, look, look at just go outside, look at the trees, look at what God, I mean, God did a lot of things in terms of the creation of, quite frankly, you wonder why, well, I wonder why God went to all that trouble to craft something in nature that unique, that beautiful. Why? Because That is just God being expressed in everything that God made. And yet, it is through you and me. It is through those of us who are made in His divine nature, that share in that divine nature, whereby which the greatest opportunity for distinction exists. Many times, though, that the culture tells us that being different is not something to be desired. It doesn't fit. We looked last week at Pentecost in the book of Acts, and in that moment where it says all of these nations and peoples were gathered, it was actually the diversity in that moment that was represented that manifested the miracle of what the Spirit was pouring out. How was that? is that as the Spirit was enabling people to worship God, all of these different folk, all the diversity, all these different trees gathered in one place, and they were able to do what? Hear God being praised in their own language. It was actually the diversity represented at Pentecost that manifested the miracle of what God was pouring out. Accepting these distinctions and the differences. The second thing that we have to deal with, and this is a big one, is the fear of man. What will they think? Now, we all have these voices in our head of our mamas and daddies. Don't do that. Your face will freeze like that. <laughs> and there's some voices that it's, it's good to have in the back of your mind. A good little, I think it's, it's a right healthy to be a little bit afraid of your daddy. A little bit afraid of your mama. There's nothing wrong with that. I mean, come on, growing up. I mean, daddy was like, Rrr. "I mean, your mama would say, you know, when your daddy comes home." I mean, you realize it had come, it had been ramped up that she was uncovering the weapons of mass destruction because I'm gonna tell you, daddy, when he comes home. And so there's. And there's a right fear of man, but there's there's a wrong fear of man as well, and it's as those voices that play out that says, "What will they think?" God had revealed Himself to a man, pretty supernatural way—a bush catching on fire, not being consumed, and speaks to, begins this this talking plant begins to call this man forth. God begins to speak to Moses and said, "I've." I've got an impossible task for you. Moses in chapter 4, he says, What if they don't believe me? What if they won't listen to me? I mean, imagine for a moment like this that you're having an encounter with the living God. And in this moment, you're pushing back against God because in some ways, Moses was more afraid of the men he was getting ready to face than God himself in this moment. Now, I don't know about you, but fear, that's a pretty powerful fear. I mean, this is God talking. This is heaven opening. This is the burning. This is that whole moment. And we're more, we're, asking, we're more concerned about what their opinion might be in this moment than I wonder if God will set me on fire. Fear of man is a pretty powerful motivation. Finally, a few verses later, finally Moses just throws his hands up and God. Please, just send somebody else to do it. Proverbs 29, 25 says, The fear of man will prove to be a snare. See, real freedom is found in our authenticity where we're free from what someone else thinks can you imagine being that free can you really imagine the freedom that will come to your life if you could live it without all the voices and being afraid of what will they say i would i can't wait to meet they someday you with me they experts about everything and telling us how what we should wear and eat and how to do life. They, they, studies have shown. My wife and I now, we giggle every time we hear that. Studies have shown. I mean that three people got together and they did a study and they came up with an opinion. But if I say studies have shown other than we had a conversation over lunch, it sounds impressive, doesn't it? Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 4, listen to this, I care very little. Don't you love Paul sometimes? Paul, right on the verge of a little tood here. I care very little if I'm judged by you or any human court. But then he goes on, he says, indeed, I don't even judge myself. I mean, first of all, this is a man that was intimate with God, but this was a man that knew that when it came right down to it, the only opinion that really mattered in the thing was God's opinion. Imagine living in a place, a life of freedom, where the only opinion that really matters is God's opinion. Wow. And the only way that we manifest our authenticity that we come into an agreement with God's design for your life and for my life is to come in agreement with his affirmation. And that means that we have to fall out of agreement with all these other voices out there and watch the fear of man dissipate around our life. My Lord, what a measure of freedom that we need to step into. Along with that comes number three crippling comparison do i measure up I may have mentioned last week I just got back from my 40th class reunion Once again what a weird collection of people And the 40th is 40th is a little bit better than the early ones cuz the early ones you know you you're renting a car because you're still driving your college So you rent a BMW for that for the 10th, you know, you're rolling up in a car that you could barely afford to lease for one night, much less own. But you're trying to look good, you know. And So for the 40th, I remember my, my prayer was, uh, they, they asked me as the only member of the clergy of the class. So I'm, I'm praying the prayer, and I prayed at the end of the prayer. And God, for all these men here tonight holding their bellies in, trying to look 10 years younger... <laughs> Protect them that they wouldn't die here in our midst. (laughs) But everybody looking around. What's he driving? Brother's gotten a little heavier. He got no hair left. Now, by the 40th, the ship's pretty much sailed. So it's pretty much, it's an easy one. You with me? Not nearly as stressful as like 20 and 30 and, you know, because you're still trying to be a little something, you know? So you're just whipping out pictures of the grandkids by now. You just don't care anymore. But that comparison, my wife and I were both musicians, went to music school together, and everybody's looking around. Teachers tell you, you know, for every moment you're not in the practice room, somebody else is. So you're with a few hundred other folk. They're all competing for the same job at McDonald's when you graduate. <laughs> because you realize that there, there just aren't enough jobs for all these people being churned out. And so everybody's looking around and just developing a pecking order. Well, he's going to play first chair in the symphony. This guy, he's not even going to be in the kazoo band over here. And but everybody, it's amazing how quickly it begins to sort out. The reputations begin to form. And it doesn't take, it doesn't take a semester. It happens in the first two weeks. That everybody is put in this slot of whether or not they're the A players or the B players or the ones that should never have gotten there to begin with. And then you have the teachers reinforce that. And everybody is just. No wonder again, a lot of music a lot of arts people rely on a lot of pharmaceuticals to make it through because this little paranoia gets gets built in because of this crippling comparison. Then if you can get out of school and then, you, then you're waiting for the calls, and am I going to get called for the gig? And often. We're making comparisons to standards of success and people. that shouldn't even be the reference of comparison. This is the amazing thing. See, this is part of what the advertising industry does, is that it sets some measure up here that says this is the arbitrary standard that we have established that if you don't have an iPhone 14 running iOS 7000, then don't even pull it out in public because you will be shamed. You know what I'm talking about. Extreme example, but many times somewhere that gets this bar, this standard, we realize we're trying to compare ourselves to something whereby which it shouldn't even be a measure. Yet it is. It's amazing. That comparison, it drives our culture. And it fuels our capitalism because it's that comparison. Of, oh, I know you're not wearing those shoes. They're so last month. It's like, but these are really comfortable. Don't care. Get rid of them. And so you have people and they're purging their closet based on some standard. A good friend of mine, only, only, only two suits I've ever had made. said, finally, he, I don't know if he felt sorry for me. He said, oh, you got to get some clothes. So we ended up, and I went in and got measured for some suits. And So I began to have this discussion with the guy, cuffs, no cuffs, pleats, no pleats, you know, width of the And the guy says, Pfft. He said, doesn't matter. He said, honestly. He said, I go to New York every year, and we fashion by it. he said, you know, the lapels are another 16th of an inch. He said, it doesn't make that much difference. Now, don't show up in that, you know, that baby blue tux that you wore when you were, you you know, I'm talking about, you know, with the six-inch lapels. It was ugly then, and it's still ugly. So just, just park that thing, all right? Just let it go, all right? But the reality is, many times there are these standards that it drives us. But not only to open our wallet and buy things and put ourselves into debt for a standard that shouldn't even be a standard. But many times the way that we should live our life, that somebody out there trying to sell some product is convincing us, this is what your life should be. And I'm not just trying to turn this into some diatribe about capitalism. That's not what this is about. But I'm talking about how crippling comparison is in our life. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul writes this again. We don't dare to classify or compare ourselves with some who commend themselves. When they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they're not wise. But here's wisdom. He says, we'll not boast beyond proper limits, but we'll confine our boasting to the field God's assigned to us. You see in that Paul understood there's a lot of you know there there there's a lot of he the man and she's the she's the woman and I mean it, 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 this was going on even then people making a little something of themselves saying this is what it should be Paul said not playing that game it's God that sets the standard crippling comparison the fourth in developing our authenticity is the understanding is going to be decidedly countercultural? James 4, verses 4 through 5, it says, Don't you know that friends with the world is hatred toward God? See, the tragedy of the church, and this is not a new problem, is the accommodation that's called us to lose our authenticity, our distinctiveness, and subsequently lose our voice. 1 Peter 2 9, you know this passage. You're chosen. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you what? Out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Authenticity many times means being decidedly countercultural. To everything going on around us. and it's going to take countercultural persons are going to be needed to create a countercultural people. In corporate systems and standards of behavior they have to be inculcated yes, by the individual and their lives have to be lived differently. and subsequently we have to be identified as being different people. Once again, I'm not talking about a blank check just for weirdness. You ever seen a Christian that just worked at being weird? It's not helpful. It's not not furthering the cause of the gospel on the planet in this moment just to say, well, I'm a Christian and that's just... that. That's not what I'm talking about. But I'm talking about, why do you do that? What, 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 why don't you use that word? Why don't you laugh at that? What, what, what is it? What, you, you're just, you're different. Thank you. Because they're seeing something of the life of Christ being lived authentically through your life that demands that your life be lived differently. Hmm. And we're going to get to the connection with one to the other. But the issue for a long time, and not just of late, is how much of the world is in the church rather than how effective the church is in the world. This is not a new problem. It really isn't. Kenneth Myers has written a book, and he says it this way, The contemporary church has reversed Christ's injunction to be in the world but not of the world. Instead, he says, we're not in the world with our separate schools, bookstores, music companies, and other cultural institutions so that we seldom interact with non believers, and yet we are of the world. Our music stores, schools, and corporate structures may be separate, but they are exactly like their secular counterparts. We come in here and we're different. Or well, we should be. Now, we don't, want to make, we, don't, we don't want to make this experience when someone walks in this room any more challenging than the Holy Spirit desires to make it. Are, are you hearing me here? Somewhere if a sinner walks in this room, I, I kind of want them to squirm a little bit. Yes, I'm wanting them to like what Rob and Tiffany can put together and appreciate the fact that we have a great exegete for a leader. And they said, man can talk great. But somewhere on the inside, if they're coming in here and they're not right, I want the distinction between how they're living and what's... I want something to be going off in them that says something's got to change. And yes, that's the conviction of the Holy Ghost, but something they should be looking around and saying, these folk, this is different. Fourth century, Constantine broke the chain of persecution against Christians. Sat on a number of councils. I mean, interesting, but it's a, it's a, it, was a, it was a mixed bag with Constantine because he was trying to create a state religion, which he, he kind of did. But the problem is to, to get all these folk to come in, he said, bring everything you got. You like candles? Great. Bring those. Robes? Great. Special days? Yeah, pick them. We'll just plug them right in. Matter of fact, I mean, you can look at a lot of things that still are practiced in the church today and go all the way back to the 4th century. And you can say, wow, that didn't have a biblical root at all. That had a pagan root that a guy brought in to try to make his church, make this thing more comfortable for the folks coming in to accommodate And you've heard me make this statement before, but somehow the goal is that the church not be so camouflaged. And when I say the church, I'm not talking about what we do in this room. I'm talking about you and me, that we're not so camouflaged in the culture that we don't stand out. You know, there's a reason that hunters don't just, you know, wear a camo and they're bright orange. I'm different. Don't shoot at this. There's something decidedly countercultural about us that the world is desperately wanting to see. They really do. They don't want to see a better version of themselves. They want to see something completely different. And that's what this gospel offers is something completely different. Not a new and improved, but a 180. But it's it's only lived if you can live it authentically. And then lastly, and I'll just speak to this quickly, to have a truly authentic life, part of it's going to have to be lived alone and alone with God. Jeremiah 1, before I formed you, I knew you. Appointed you to be a prophet. That sounds so wonderful until you realize what it cost him. No one understands me. It could be you're weird or a sociopath. Or you want to be completely understood. Because if you're looking to be completely understood. In your authenticity. Your relationships are going to suffer. Marriage. You don't get me. Married to the same woman for 38 years. And sometimes we look at each other like. It's not what I said. Yes it is. Now we've learned to keep to check the body language i mean if you know once you cross over certain certain decade thresholds you just learn to just you keep it tight but inside you're going huh i read an article that talked about being married it says the person who is best suited to us is not the person who shares our every taste but the person who can negotiate differences in taste intelligently, the person who's good at disagreements. Rather than some notional idea of perfect complementarity, it's the capacity to tolerate differences with generosity. There's a statement. That's the true marker of the not overly wrong person. Listen to this. Compatibility is an achievement of love. It must not be its precondition. out another way we may not find complete understanding of our authentic self from another individual now spouses come real close they should our covenant relationships with our handful of friends who are covenant friends should be included there as well but but even so there's still going to be these aspects of your life that are never going to be completely understood Pastor Brett and I have been walking together for a moment. And Pastor Brett looks at me sometimes like, What language are you speaking? What, what do you mean? And there are parts of me that he doesn't get. But it doesn't affect our ability to walk together. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's the same thing with your spouse, with your friends. But it doesn't mean that I'm supposed to become less of me to make anyone better understand. But guess what? Part of that means that we're going to be living it alone with God. I want you to hear something deep here. 1 Corinthians 13 says this. And this is the promise of our eternal fellowship with Him. It says, Now we see but a poor reflection as in a mirror, but then we shall see face to face, So that's speaking of us with God. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. Do you realize that your authenticity, your life lived authentically? It's a mark of creation. It's a fingerprint of God on your life. And it's only when we're in his presence that we're going to know he gets me. He knows me. You know why? Because he made me. He really, I don't even have to explain it. I don't have to try to put words with, he gets it. And the only relationship you're ever going to have of of, of that, who really gets you, is God. And if we try to superimpose that on the relationships around our life, Listen to me carefully saints, we're going to be trying to we're going to put stress on those relationships that they were never intended to bear. It's only in that intimacy with Christ that we can have that authenticity. But you're only going to get that behind the closed door. Are you with me? That we come out from those moments with God and we say, "You know what? I'm good." Yeah. Maybe out here I'm a little strength, but God gets me. And we're good. Are you hearing me tonight? Living an authentic life. Pray with me.